The sermon text reading is from Mark chapter 3, verses 31 to 35. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning again, City Church Eastside. Thank you, Christian. Uh, I'm one of the elders here at the church. My name is Dan DeCriscio. DeCriscio, that's my name. It looks like DeCrisco. And 90% of the people who spell it or say it, say it that way. The D in DeCriscio in Italian means of or from. And if it was Crisco, it meant I'm of or from Crisco or fat in a can. (laughs) But really, there's a small village just to the east of Naples in Italy where my family is from. It's right beside another small village that's called Epilucci. And a really cool thing in my hometown uh, where I grew up in Greensburg, Pennsylvania, is that um, uh, uh, Carmela de Criscio, who is my grandmother, lived right beside Simarie Apolucci, uh, which actually in Italy, those two villages are right beside each other. So what was reflected in Greensburg is actually reflected in Italy at the same time. Now, Grandma de Criscio and Simarie, uh, they would sit in their back porches and just talk. They would talk back there. Only a sidewalk separated them. Behind them both was a huge garden that my father and I would go out and actually hand till when uh, I was six years old, which, of course, at the time I hated. Now I'd love it, but then, no. It was always gloriously chaotic back there in the backyard, though. There would be sisters, brothers, aunts, grandbabies like myself, be playing, talking, digging, chilling in the backyard. I was Danny, never Dan or Daniel, because there was a bunch of Italians back there. So it was always Frankie, Mikey, Louie, Tony, Rosie, and making a bunch of Italian noises like a prosciutto or mozzarella. Come on. Hey, gumbara chicha. You know, you know, I almost kept going there for a second. <laughs> it just comes natural. You know, us Italians, we, we like our Italianness and love playing it up kind of like we're on Moonstruck or, uh, or Goodfellas, okay? Nick Cage reference there for you, Ben. I mean, have you ever seen the Olive Garden commercials? You know what I'm talking about. You know, where you got a big family sitting around an endless bowl of salad and breadsticks, pinching cheeks, talking with their hands and making those Italian noises. Mozzarella and prosciutto. And what's the tagline there? At Olive Garden, when you're here, you're family, right? It doesn't matter that the family looks like the Smiths from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. When you dine at Olive Garden, you are the Russos from Passaic, New Jersey, your family, La Familia. The funny thing is, is Olive Garden, owned by Darden Restaurants, owns another popular restaurant called Red Lobster. And I guess when you eat there, you aren't family because, because their motto is for the seafood lover in you. That's just sort of like metaphysically weird if you think about it. 
So at Olive Garden, it's Acts 2.42, it's your family. And at Red Lobster, it's in curvitus insay, you are selfish with your shellfish. That's, that's all the jokes we have for today. There might be one slight one later, but I got them all out here. So what are we talking about? What are we talking about? Family, la familia, identity, right? It's who you are and where you're from. And, you know, maybe not too long ago, actually, it determined your future and maybe where you were going as well, too. It's ritual, it's routine, it's values, expectations, language, something that you participate in and something that shapes you, either good or bad. And that's what we'll unpack today, friends. We see in our scripture that uh, Jesus is talking about what? He's talking about family, and I'd say that he has a pretty provocative view on it. I say that we know about our earthly family, the family that we see, you know, in front of us. You know, we understand that, love it or loathe it at times. But then we see a different family, a different family united by something and someone else. I propose here that it's a family that is uh, united by the work and the spirit of Christ, a new family that is united and adopted by the Spirit of Christ. And God is man of the house. And their spirit enables us to become a family, act as a family, and serve as a family. Those are our three points here today. Become, act, and serve as a family enabled by what? The Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit. So, at first glance in our text this morning, it appears Jesus has some family issues, right? Seems like that, at least. Some family issues. But to understand this, we first need to look at the context of which he is speaking here in Mark. Earlier in Mark, Jesus did what? He healed a man on the Sabbath. This attracts a crowd of people who are quite uh, interested in what Jesus is doing. Some are amazed and some think he's a little crazy. You may have heard of the C.S. Lewis trilemma that Jesus is either a liar, lunatic, or Lord, that you have to choose one of those. There's no real other choice. Well, this crowd, and Jesus knows it, they're pondering all of those things. They're pondering those things. Jesus is healing, doing miracles, and the liar and lunatic faction that is here in the house, must be, they're, they're wondering, how is he doing these particular things? Is it by the power of God, or is it the power of the devil? Satan said, just like church lady back in the SNL days, if you know, Satan. Is it Satan? It's no jo- a joking matter, friends, uh, because <clears throat> these are fighting words for Jesus. These are fighting words. It's forcing uh, him to ask us a question here. It's forcing a question upon us. Who is our spiritual family? Who is our spiritual father? It's not a trilemma. We believe here at City Church would be a dilemma. It's either God or evil or Satan. And your earthly family doesn't really matter in all of this. Just look at Jacob and Esau. We look at the scripture, uh, Paul, uh, quoting God here, twin brothers, Romans 9, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So if you believe this, and maybe you don't, maybe you you believe there are additional options, and at one time I felt the same way. Here at church we would affirm that there are two. 
And if there are, then we should suppose that there's some way that you become a part of these families. There has to be a way that you become a part of these families or that you're a part of these families. And, you know, this could deserve a whole other study or or sermon about this, and I'm not really going to get into this today and talking about predestination, election, and all these these big theological terms. I know I quoted Romans 9. We're not going to talk about that, but what we're going to talk about is receiving the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God. That you must receive the Spirit of God to become part of the family of God. That you must have the Spirit of God to be a part of the family of God. And we know this, again, from Paul in Romans. Romans 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption of sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Like saying, Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are who? Children of God. God's family. By the Spirit. Just as Jesus tells Nicodemus that we are born again when we receive the Spirit. Born into the family of God. Thank you for the backing musical track against that. It's like a like in a little Pentecostal church here. Maybe a little pad of music in the back there. Like that. We're part of the family of God by the Spirit. But hold that thought. Let's get back to Jesus' family issues here in the text, or supposed one. He doesn't really say that. But let's see, you know, the Pharisees. What are they doing? Who are the people in the crowd? They're like, Jesus, you're acting a fool. You're acting a fool. Earlier, you're breaking the Sabbath law. And now, how you're talking about your mother and and brothers and stuff, especially your mother, you know, sort of breaking the honor your father, or excuse me, your, yeah, your father and mother law. Breaking the law. Can you picture the, uh, the face that Mary has, you know, as she's outside the building? It's like, oh, geez, what's going on in there? Like, son, just come on out. You know, these Pharisees and these people here, just think, they think you're crazy. Come on out here, son, and hang out here. Is Jesus disrespecting his mom? Is he breaking that commandment in this situation? I don't think that's what's going on here, friends. I don't think it's going on. You know, the Pharisees and the other doubters here, they think that he's a liar and a lunatic. He knows in their hearts what they're trying to do. They're either just trying to trap him, or really they're just trying to get rid of him. Like, just get out of here. It's like in the movie Christmas Vacation, you know, that scene, you know, where Clark's boss, you know, Mr. Shirley, when he's annoyed with him, when he brings the the gift in and he sits at that long boardroom table. And what does he say? Get me somebody, anybody, and get me somebody while I'm waiting. (laughs) With Mr. Shirley, it's like, get out of here, Clark. With the Pharisees and the people that don't, Uh, believe in Jesus, it's Jesus, go talk to your mom. Get out of here. Away from me. Jesus responds with what? You want to talk about family? You want to talk about moms and dads and family here? We'll talk about family now. Verse 35, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. A very poignant, a very short scripture Friends, we can go to other places in Scripture to sort of expound on this a little bit more. For example, a whole section of John 8, where Jesus is having a very similar type of conversation. So let's go there. He says this uh, quite intensely to these uh, folks. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. 
Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen from my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Your father, or you are the father of the devil, or you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. Jesus again confronts us here. Not with the trilemma or four or five option lemma, but with the dilemma. Jesus makes it clear. If you're believing in Jesus and following and abiding in him, and you, you are a part of his family. If you're not, there's another alternative there. It's not a good one. Singer-songwriter back in the 90s, Juliana Hatfield, probably nobody knows who she is. Scott reminded me earlier as I talked about this. Who is her? Who is she? Well, she had a record that I loved, and uh, I loved the title of it. It was called Become What You Are. Just love that phrase, become what you are. It's sort of a challenge and a promise at the same time, become what you are. As an adoptee in the family of God, brought by the Spirit and bought by what Jesus did on the cross, as we sang earlier in one of the songs, you will become what you are. In Christ and God's family, by His Spirit, you'll become more and more like our Savior Jesus Himself. You'll receive an inheritance. Now, rejecting God, relying on worldly bloodlines, justifications, and all of that, the alternative. That brings us to our second point here, friends. So what does it look like to be as, a, as part of the family of God? What does it look like to act or behave? And I don't really like the word behave, but we sort of talked about it before. What are the ways by which we act as a family? You talked about that in the newcomers meeting announcement. I was joking earlier uh, that Italians love being Italian. And I'm from also Pittsburgh, which Pittsburghers love being from Pittsburgh too. And we're known to hold on to our Pittsburghness. Last month, our family went to uh, the Steelers-Falcons game. And if you know Steelers fans, they travel, but they also live everywhere because when the mills closed down in the 70s, everybody left. Or not everybody, but a lot of people left. You know, they left the Rust Belt looking, you know, to the Sun Belt, the Bible Belt, and any belt that really has jobs out there because in the 70s and 80s, Pittsburgh didn't have any. But we don't forget our Pittsburgh Steelers. We don't forget our Steelers. And wow, at that game last month, the accents were thick. The kibasi was grilling. The black and gold was everywhere. And if I have a beer or two and I'm around another Pittsburgher, my accent starts coming out. And, you know, I start talking like, you know, from down here, East Liberty and that. Trying to put on some Dawny Iris. John Miller. New York Times called Pittsburgh the Galapagos Islands of accents out there because they're so, it's like a mix of eight. These certain ways of being a Pittsburgher, it just comes out. You just can't help yourself. You just can't help yourself. It just comes out. It's, in, it's something in you that's a part of you, and God wants the same. God wants the same, that you just can't help yourself. In being godly and in being obedient to that character is his character, his mercy, his love, would just flow from you. 
And this is a major point of the law in the Old Testament. It is to train up God's beloved people, the beloved community, as Martin Luther King says, to train them up in holiness, in righteousness, to be like him. They're not him, but to be like him. It says in Leviticus 11.44, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. Be like me. Our Old Testament scripture that Christian read this morning began with what? For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all of the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And to be a people, a beloved community, a, the family of God, we sort of need to abide in the house rules, don't we? There's just the house rules. We're part of the family. Just like you might have in your own home, sort of the house rules, bedtimes, and who cleans up what and does what, and how do we act as a family? In our Old Testament uh, scripture this morning ended with what? You shall therefore be careful to do what? The house rules. The house rules that I command you today. These rules aren't supposed to be a drag. We can take them as such, but it's fun. Even if you don't believe in God, you hold other people accountable to them, even if you don't believe in them. <clears throat> These rules were very countercultural. They are today, but also in their time. If you think about when Moses gave these, you know, by way of God, the Jews were coming out of Egypt. They were shaped and discipled by pagan cultures, these cultures that thought it was okay to sacrifice children from Moloch and, and various other odd things that were happening that we would, of course, say is not good today. They had a slave identity. What does God do? Out of his grace and mercy, he reorients them. He reorients their worship, their character, and treats them as who? As employees, as students? No, as sons and daughters, as children. And he gives them the house rules, and he says, if you follow these, you will be blessed and be a blessing to the nations. You will thrive. But what happens? Human, something inside of us, human nature just kicks in, and as Scott likes to say, it goes south and sideways. Somewhere along the way, it becomes more about what we control, our selfish desires, family trees, meritocracy, whatever you want to put in there. It just gets us south and sideways, and that's where Jesus has to reorient us today with his scripture. What does he say? Quite simply, we read it earlier, whoever does the will of God, he is part of the family. Who does the will of the Father? is a part of the family. Who's my brother, sister, and mother? Because when you're rooted here in Christ, and in Christ alone, as Laura sang earlier, when you're here, you're family. When you're rooted here, you're family. Not conformed to the world's will, but to the Father's will. Paul talks about this in Romans 12, 2. Great scriptural passage here. Don't be conformed to the world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by the testing, or that by testing, you could do what? Discern what the will of God is. What is good, acceptable, and perfect? That's a, a good question, right? That's a fair, fair question. What is the Father's will? It's something that I know many of us have had that conversation. 
I mean, even as a leadership team, talking about the church, or maybe it's in your marriage or in your work or family. I mean, what is God's will for my life? What, a, what am I called to do? That's a very common question. And of course, we love our personality tests and Enneagrams and strategy sessions and spiritual gifting tests and all of that. And that is all good. It's all good and helpful and fun. But priority number one is to do this, is that we would be transformed by the renewal of our mind and that by that we would be able to discern what the will of God is. That's priority one. We yield and allow our minds to be renewed. Renewed in what? The Holy Spirit. See, this is this was the weakness and sort of the, the failure. I'm going to say the failure, but sort of the insufficiency of the law that Paul talks about in, uh, in Romans 6. Is, is that it's the law. It's the rules. That that law needs to be written upon our heart. It needs to become a part of us. Much more so than me being Italian or me being Pittsburgh. Is that, is that it would become a part of who we are. And our being. And that is done by the Holy Spirit. We looked earlier. The Holy Spirit does what? It adopts us as who? Sons and daughters. The Spirit, as we yield to it, it sanctifies us. Which is a, a, a big theological term for basically it gives us the more of the mind of Christ. And sometimes that feels a little confusing, but but I'm sure you all in this room know people really well and you can like finish their sentences. That's what that means. It means that you're thinking like him. You, you're so much a part of one another. And that's a transformed mind. So the spirit of Christ enables us to act and be more like Jesus if we allow him. If we allow him, because there's like four ways that we can interact with the Holy Spirit. And if you read some of the devotions that we had in December, I, I talked about this in one of mine. There's sort of four ways in Scripture that you see people interacting with the Spirit. Number one, we can blaspheme the Spirit, which is a huge no-no. Don't do that. You know, as Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, you know, to Peter, that would be like us saying to the Holy Spirit, get behind me, Holy Spirit. Like, I don't want any part of you. Not good. Don't do that. It's the unforgivable sin, as it says. We also, and this is frequent, we can grieve and quench the Holy Spirit, which is like throwing a wet blanket on a fire. Say, oh, I, got, I got this. I can control this. Or I believe, you know, it's, it's the thorns and thistles in our lives that sort of choke out the Spirit's power in our life and suppress it. But the last one is what we should all do as we interact with the Holy Spirit. And that is to fan it into flame. To fan the spirit into flame is to invite it in and find the ways that throws gasoline on the fire. Just as you build a fire, the preparation, allow it to roar and thrive and continue. When the Holy Spirit is burning bright, the fruit of the spirit we see in our lives. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, all of the, what the names of the rooms are upstairs now in City Kids up there. The fruits, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. It just flows from us. We just can't help ourselves because we're so in tuned with the Spirit. We just do the Father's will. So how we be or act as a family together, friends, is that together we fan that flame into spirit, both individually but also in community with one another. It's that spirit, him, the Holy Spirit, that unites us, and we should pray that and encourage that uh, with one another as a family. So this deep well of spirit, 
as we've been talking about. It's just got to come out, right? Okay, we can't hold it in, ideally. It's just got to come out. We can't keep it to ourselves. And, you know, our mission statement at City Church East Side is what? It's on the back wall on the back opposite side there. It says, joining God as a family on mission for the renewal of all things. And a lot of times we like to talk about, you know, what are the rhythms of the Christian life? And that we have you know, this reorientation that we're talking about, you know, worship, the love of God, you know, that's the upward, the joining God. And then we have the in, inward, the formation as family, as individuals. Uh, that's, the, that's the inward portion. That's the um, family aspect of it all, the family on mission. And then the outward and the service that's going forth. We've just got to come out. We just go and bring blessing, renewal, reconciliation to our friends and neighbors. You know, Christ's enabling spirit, it's got to go out. I mean, where did Jesus do most of his ministry? It was out, right? It wasn't, some of it was in the synagogue, but a lot of times it was out. It was in people's homes. It was out serving. Uh, it was amongst the people outside. And if it was inside, it might have been done with outsiders. So you see this spirit of Christ compelled by the gospel out there. So when we do this, when we go outside, God's goodness should be so apparent to those people around us. It should be so apparent that they would be curious about our motives, our hopes, and ask, who is your God? It's like when you meet somebody from, you know, Pittsburgh or, you know, for me, like New Orleans, too. I'm like, you're from New Orleans. I can tell. It's so apparent. But it should, that should be the same with our godliness, holiness, and desire to care and show mercy and grace to our friends and neighbors. It's not an act. It's who we are. We're his representatives. We're God's representatives, part of his family. We see this in 2 Corinthians and put it up on the screen here. Paul again talks, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, because we're a family of the Spirit, right? Even though once we regarded Christ according to the flesh, the flesh, we regard Him no longer as that. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, born again of Spirit. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You're part of the new family. All of this is from God who Christ reconciled us to himself and he gave us what? The ministry to do the same. The ministry of reconciliation. When you're here, you're family. In Christ, the old has passed away. The new has come. This is from God. It's his will. And what is his will for us to do is have the ministry of recon reconciliation and be the following. As we continue in 2 Corinthians, that we would be ambassadors for Christ. That God making his appeal through us. Just think of that. That God is speaking to others through how we act and how we care in our own devotion, faithfulness as we live out that out. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And this is the gospel here. He made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God, and that we would become, by the Spirit, by Christ's work, the, the reconcilers, the ambassadors. And if you know an ambassador, 
they're sent by a leader, a king or a, a president to do their will of a president or, or a king or other leader. God's will and message for us is that we too, like him, would bring reconciliation and renewal in the situations and the people who are on mission and who are in your midst. So much of this was Dr. King's message as well, too. It's to go out there, bring reconciliation, renewal, shalom, peace. Franco Harris, legendary stealer, Pittsburgher, and half Italian. I like how we bring all those three things together here in Franco. You know, many would say that he was an ambassador. That he was a, a, an ambassador for all of those things, Steelers, Pittsburghers, and Italians. And, and as you know, he passed away uh, last month, I think December 20th. Uh, when he died, what did people say about him? Of course, was great football player, the immaculate reception. His greatest achievements, however, were made off the playing field. His steadfast dedication to helping others throughout his life serve as an inspiration to all and a testament to his commitment to kindness, charity, decency, and humility. That was in his obituary in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Franco, as an ambassador, he was steadfast, as you see there, steadfast. He brought kindness, charity, decency. He brought peace. And as part of God's families, we, too, are ambassadors. We're ambassadors for Christ and his kingdom. And we are to be steadfast, enabled by the Holy Spirit. And that we are, as a family on mission, to fan that into flame. So being faithful to that brings renewal and reconciliation. Uh, just like that song we sing, you know, you make beautiful things, you make beautiful things out of us. We are to do the same as God's family. So as we close here, let's ask practically, what, is, what does that look like? So what does reconciliation and renewal in your marriage look like? What does that look like? Like dream with me here, picture what that can look like. What does reconciliation and renewal and how we raise our children look like? What does it look like in your singleness as well too? Reconciliation and renewal. What does it look like in terms of how we best spend our time? Alone, with friends, in front of the internet, at the work happy hour? I preach these things to myself, friends, as I share them with you. What does it look like, renewal and reconciliation and how you spend your money? Maybe how you reach out and engage with people of different classes, different races, different... The theologies and political affiliations. What does it look like to be uniting in that way? What does it look like in our prayer time and our relationship actually with the source of all of this, the Holy Spirit and God? Do we need renewal and refreshment in that in the new year? I know I do. Whether you're a new believer or uh, an old uh, one in the faith, uh, or you're just curious, you know, we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of these things. And actually, it's a daily thing. You know, for me, actually, this year, my scripture uh, that is especially speaking to my heart is Hebrews 3.14. 
For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold to our original confidence firm to the end. We hold firm to the confidence to the end. And I find myself sometimes quenching and grieving the spirit in my own life and heart. And I remember the days where that wasn't the case. And so I pray, fan, Lord, help me fan that into flame. Take away the thorns and the thistles. Put the kindling and the, uh, what do you call that, the lighter fluid <laughs> on the fire to burn away the dross and the weeds and everything else in my heart. As a Christian of almost 20 years, I need that today. I need that today. I'm going to need that tomorrow, too. I'm going to need that next month. We all need it, friends. So whether you're new to the family, old, or just curious, as I mentioned here earlier, I invite you to ask God for renewal in the Spirit this year, that together as family we would fan that into flame to enable us to do the ministry of reconciliation. And I am confident that He will respond to His family as a good, good Father. Let us pray. Father God, Lord Jesus, uh, thank You for Your Holy Spirit. For it is a spirit uh, that calls us, uh, the spirit that regenerates us, is an act of your grace that justifies us, that takes our sins as far away from the east as the west, that then adopts us into the family, and is an act of a continuous work of your spirit that sanctifies us and makes us more in the image of you, Jesus. It is by your spirit that you hold all things together. You hold us in your hand, as it says in Romans 8, that none will go astray, that we will persevere unto the end, Father God. And that does not lead us to a spirit of arrogance, Lord, but one of gratitude of which we pour out upon our friends and neighbors for the renewal of all things. We pray these things in your name, Lord. Amen. There, Dan was talking about the ministry of reconciliation.